Talk about life. Hello, hello. Welcome to Creatively Relating. I'm Viana Novis, and I'm so grateful you're here. Thank you so much for listening. Today's episode is the story of how I almost died three years ago, bringing up a lot of feelings as I sit down to record this. (sighs) Today I'm doing something a little different. I am recording the intro before I record the episode, and I really just wanted to let all the feelings of this settle in the beginning and lead with that. The story holds a lot, a lot for me. And and I do my best to share what feels ready to share. And I also know that this is an experience I will be unpacking and understanding and digesting for the rest of my life. So what you hear today is It's just a small, small piece of this universe. There's so much more than I can articulate in this moment. And also a lot of the story that I don't know if I'll ever tell publicly. I don't know if I'll ever even speak it out loud. Some of this experience is so far beyond words that I don't even want to try to translate it. So what you get here today is a little transmission and along the way, I want to encourage you to check in with how you feel. My intention in going into this episode is to lead with uh, creating an experience for you as the listener to tell the story and also to connect in the places where you can access your own lived experience that can't be translated and meet me there. Meet me in the place where words don't go. So we'll see how this unfolds. (laughs) Before we dive in, I do just want to say just from the depths of my heart, thank you. Thank you to everyone who listened to episode eight, the last episode with my partner, Darren McGee, talking about our experience navigating being in an abusive marriage and finding our way to healthy relating And um, it was really emotional. My goodness, you should have seen me that whole day. (laughs) The day the episode dropped, I I was just an anxious little ball of emotion. And I just feel so grateful and humbled to see the way that our story was received. And not only how it was received, but how it resonated with so many people, the messages, the letters, the emails, the 
DMs, the comments, everything that I've received since that episode has come out has really just blown me away. And it's felt like such a reminder of why I'm doing this, why I'm sitting in this room talking into a microphone. It's not, it's nice to hear my voice. I enjoy hearing the sound of my voice, but to connect with people through story, it just feels so human. And to connect in in this way through the stories that are so painful and tender and delicate, I just hold it with great regard. And every story that I've received, I feel so moved that you've shared and you took time to listen and and took time to write. I just feel so grateful. And there really aren't words to express how loved and held I feel. And that experience certainly starts inside of my own self of choosing to trust myself and trust this relationship and to open ourselves. Of course, there's a certain level of a readiness that we needed to arrive at to to do that. Um, And then to also just feel it received in the communities feels like a tapestry, you know, here's my thread being woven into our collective story tapestry, fitting together into this puzzle. I just feel so grateful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you to everyone who's left a review and gave a rating to the show. It means so much to me, really, truly so much. And that is a great way to support the show. So if you enjoy the the show, if you enjoy listening every week, if you enjoy listening every now and then, please take a few minutes to leave a review or rating or subscribe. That really helps so much. Um, and I actually just realized this is so interesting. The stats for podcasts, the way that they gauge subscribers is not based on who actually subscribes, which is so weird. They base it on who listens, how many listens you get within the first 24 hours after the show is released. Fascinating. So when you're subscribed, of course, you get notified there's a new episode. It pops up on your you know, main Spotify page or in your um, iTunes and lets you know that there's a new episode. And of course, then you're more likely to listen in that first 24-hour period. So that's how they gauge it. So if you want to support the show, that's one way to do it is to subscribe so you know when a new episode is out and then to listen within that first 24-hour period. Even if you can't finish it, just put it on, you know. That's a free and simple way to support the show. And it's fun as a as somebody who enjoys podcasts, I'm kind of tucking that into my back pocket for all the podcasts that I really love and just making the note of like, cool, I want to support your show. So I'm even just going to put this on for five minutes so you get my my number in your stats and then um, you know finish it anytime throughout the week whenever I can get around to it. Um, those are free ways to support. Uh, 
And of course, following me on Instagram is another way. There's, uh, there are things unfolding there that I'm not putting elsewhere. Lots of fun, uh, dialogue and stories. And I love hearing from you all. I put up a fun thread this week. Uh, it was fun for me <laughs> about judgment. And I have a lot more to say on this topic. Uh, but I loved hearing all your shares. I also put up one that was about your, any minor things that you majorly dislike. And I loved hearing what you had to say. This was so fun for me. And I'm just like, wow, I want to kind of do this like once a month and hear what, what minor things you majorly dislike. It was so fascinating and so much resonance. I mean, oh, there's kind of universal threads here of like mouth breathing and eating loudly. And for me, like the sound of, of trickling water through a speaker. I hate it. I hate it so much. Also white condiments. Gross. Dislike so much. Um, so that was fun. And I love getting to engage over these, you know, kind of random topics and just things that are popping in my brain and hearing from all of you. So if you listen to the show and you're not on Instagram, please come join me. There's so much more fun to be had there at Viana.Novis. And those are all free ways to support the show. Of course, sharing with your friends. If you like an episode, please share it with your friend. Uh, Word of mouth. I don't think there's any better way to to spread the word about something than word of mouth. Uh, And that is something I love doing personally, sharing uh, the things that I love with the people I love. Mm. It's just such a fun web. If you want to financially support the show, you can do that as well on Patreon, patreon.com slash Novis for as little as $3 a month, buying me a cup of coffee, whatever you have to give, uh, you get access to everything I have to give. There are weekly shares, including creativity prompts, writing exercises. We meet once a month for a live meditation and Q&A. And there's a growing community of people all over the world. It's so exciting uh, to meet it, to witness what's unfolding there and also to um, receive your support is such a gift and it really supports the show and getting put out. My goal is to uh, be able to pay all of the guests that come on this show and uh, to pay them well. I really respect and hold with such high regard the fact that people will take two hours out of their life to come sit and have a conversation with me in public. And I want to show them that regard and love and gratitude financially because we live within the system of capitalism. So uh, if you also want to be a part of that, coming and supporting the show on Patreon is how that's going to unfold. Once, you know, the, the, numbers grow to a place where I'm, you know, able to support the time and labor I have to put in and then uh, can extend that to guests as well. That's, that's the direction I'm moving towards. So patreon.com slash Viana Novus, $3 entry level, anything you have to give $3, $5, $10. I leave it up to you to determine what is accessible to you. And also what is an exchange that honors the value that you're receiving from the work I'm creating, Uh, be it the podcast or my magazine, Feru, or what I'm putting on Instagram, anything like that. Uh, wherever you're receiving value. I also know a lot of you have reached out asking about my uh, color course. That will be coming soon. I am working diligently 
on fun things behind the scenes, quietly like a little squirrel, stowing nuts away, slowly, slowly building something I am very excited to share with you all that will be out mm, summer, maybe. We'll see how my body feels. Uh, but the color course will be coming, this course about uh, how to translate your ethics and values, your commitments, your desires into a color palette that creates a feedback loop in your life that supports you in reducing or eliminating decision fatigue and also reminds you every day in the most mundane moments who you are and what you're going after in your life. So that will be coming out um, soon when when this launches in late summer-ish. And um, I will also be putting out a smaller course, the Redefining Success journal that some of you may be aware, with, aware of that I put out a few years ago. I'm turning that into a course. So th there will be a Redefining Success course as well as this color course, uh, which has yet to be named. I'm going to rename it. When I was teaching it in person, it was called Color and Creativity, and uh, I'm going to rename it to something that kind of hits a little bit closer to what's going on. So stay tuned for all of that. Uh, and I'm so excited to hear that a lot of you are uh, desiring this course and have remembered me doing it a few years ago and are, are wanting to uh, dive into it. So thank you for that. Thank you for that reflection. Um, and it will be coming out soon. Okay, let's get into the show. I hope you enjoy this very personal share. Welcome to the show. Beginning the story feels elusive. I'm not totally clear where to start. This experience unfolded outside of time and space beyond what I can understand and articulate. Putting words to it feels like a stretch. So maybe let's just start together with our breath. Join me if you can, if it's safe, close your eyes. Notice the natural rhythm of your breath. However, it's unfolding as it is without changing. Just witness its depth and speed. If it feels tight, if you're struggling in any way, or if it feels easeful. And begin to bring some intention to your breath, letting it deepen, letting it slow. Feeling your low belly expand. your ribs widen, your chest lift. And as you exhale, feel the sensation of 
emptying out. Noticing at the bottom of your breath what it feels like to be empty. Continue moving with a deep breath on a rhythm that feels good for your body. As you exhale, let the breath escape through the mouth like you're drinking through a straw, a tiny little opening between your lips, or maybe like you're blowing out a candle. Notice if you can feel your toes, your feet, your hands. What does it feel like in your body to be alive right now? Maybe there aren't words, and that's okay. Just feel it. I gave birth in 2018. On March 18th, I labored for two days at home. I pushed for five hours. And as the sun came up on the second day, I sat at the edge of my bed, staring out the window at the trees and the mountains. I surrendered to the idea that I would be pushing forever. This was my reality. I push. I was silent, breathing deep. I remember focusing on keeping my hands soft when I was in between pushes. I remember thinking back to massage school when I was learning deep tissue massage and how important it was for us to let our wrist and our hands be soft, to not waste our energy making a fist. I remember how grateful I felt for that little bit of knowledge because every ounce of energy I had was so vital. I hadn't eaten or slept in two days. I had been purging since early labor. I had back labor. And I was very, very triggered. My nervous system was more activated than it had been in a long time. See, I knew giving birth was going to be triggering to the violent sexual trauma I experienced in my early life, and I didn't understand how going into birth. I knew, inevitably, I would face something I had yet to face. And of course, 
I knew that there was no way to know what that would be. I prepared myself as best I could. I allowed myself to turn towards every memory that surfaced in the year before I gave birth. I went deeper into my experience of trauma on my own than I had ever allowed myself prior. And it was subtle, quiet, internal. And then when I entered birth, what I faced was something I never expected, (laughs) didn't even cross my mind. And here I just want to say, for anyone who has experienced sexual trauma, you may want to just skip ahead a few button clicks into a few minutes ahead. I imagine there will be uh, some potentially triggering things to share here. Leading up to birth, I thought my experience of being triggered would be similar to what I had experienced in the past. That it would be somewhat mental, visual, more in my head. I never expected it to be a physical triggering because I had yet to experience anything like that in my life. Giving birth, for me, felt like being raped for two straight days. The physical sensations brought me into the physical experience that I had as a young child. The retraction of my little body trying to pull away from the pain of being raped. And even as I say these words now, I feel the flood of grief and emotion tingling on my skin, the heaviness in my heart overpouring for my child self, the desire to swoop in and pick that little one up and hold them close and protect them. And I am right now. Let's take a moment here, wherever you are, in your mind, if your eyes are open, Let them close if it's safe. Let your breath deepen. And feel what is here for you. What is alive. Perhaps what you are afraid of, what you feel pain over. What you want to protect, 
who you want to protect or where you're grieving. I don't think it's valuable to talk about these experiences without taking a moment to pause and recognize that our bodies, our souls, are reacting. Even if we haven't had this lived experience, personally, it is painful to hear of a child being harmed, of the innocence, of the awe, of the purity that children embody, being overpowered, being distorted through the pain of an adult that hurts all of us. Because I believe we all have the wound of when our innocence was shattered, realizing that there is pain in this world. That there are people who hurt other people. That there are people who overpower other people. That there are conditions on this planet designed to bring suffering. There is a moment when we all learned of the reality of this culture, this supremacy culture that we live in. And there is pain there. And I think regardless of the lived experience we have as individuals, when we hear of a child having that moment, that shattering moment of innocence, I think it touches into that wound in all of us. The part of us that once had a lens on this world of beauty and joy and connection of openness, of welcoming, of loving, and then, and then reality came crashing in on our tiny little shoulders like a weight we could not yet understand, but we felt. And we feel it still today. That little person is inside of us still carrying this weight. And right now, we can just hold that part of ourselves as the competent adults that we are with open hearts, with our full presence. We can hold that child Stroke their forehead, give them a sip of water, 
and take a deep breath together. So what I never expected to face in birth was the physical pain. The physical pain of being raped. And there it was in my body, in the memory that my muscles were holding. There it was. With every contraction, I felt my body retract away from the sensation. And I understood in the echo of my bones what this feeling was, the retraction away, the fear of bearing down, the fear of being in my body fully inhabiting my toes and my legs. I understood now. And for two days, I sat in this experience, picking apart the physical pain of being harmed. And I felt my child moving into this world and I made a promise to them and I said, we will do better. We will do better for the children. I will do better. I commit to doing better for the children of this planet. And my heart breaks a little as I say this, thinking of all the children in this moment who are in harm's way without help. And I soften knowing that this is a part of why I'm here. And I know as my life continues to unfold, this is where I will continue turning my attention and awareness to the place where innocence is broken and how that affects our culture, our lives, our communities, our relationships, our most important relationship to self. I made a promise from the depths of my pain to my child, to do my very best to create a condition in the world, not just for them, but for their peers, that would allow for innocence to flourish. Innocence alongside wisdom, purity alongside experience, an open heart with the skill to navigate relating so that the heart can remain open. I made a promise. And I'm still understanding the depth, the weight, the power of that promise. After my child was born at the foot of my bed, I wasn't yet done. Two more hours after two days in labor and five hours of pushing, we worked to get Delu's placenta out. 
and it hurt. It was in fact the most painful part of labor, and that says a lot, looking at what I experienced. And when the placenta finally came out, I ate a bit of food and I fell asleep for the first time in days. I don't know how long I slept. I don't know what time was in that space. But when I woke up, I managed to get myself to the bathroom and had a shower. I bound my belly. Afterwards, I can feel the support of having cloth around my abdomen where a human once was, not just a few hours prior. I don't remember much from that time. But I do remember counting the hours of my child's life and thinking, soon I'll count the days, and then I'll count the weeks, and then we'll count years. But right now we're counting minutes. We're counting hours, and you're just a few hours old. Hello. The first few days of postpartum, I couldn't sleep. My nervous system was so wound up. I had difficulty relaxing. I was getting maybe, maybe 45 minutes of sleep at a time. I remember my midwife coming to my house and saying, Viana, it is so important that you sleep. You need to get four hours. And I laughed thinking, great, like I agree. And how? How? What? How do I do that? My child is nursing every two hours. I can't sleep for more than 45 minutes. I hear their little voice and I am activated. With reflection, I, I wonder how the promise I made and the fear I held from being in the depths of this pain, the physical pain of being violently hurt, I can see how that all fit together to create this activation. On day four, my milk started to come in. It came in fast and full. I was overproducing milk from the beginning but really we could back that up even further. I was producing colostrum starting at 15 weeks pregnant. I had a supply of colostrum in my freezer before I gave birth. I still have a few jars in my freezer now, in fact. Just feel special, this nectar, golden nectar In that time, I started to spike a fever, and we thought it was related to my milk coming in. 
I remember having the understanding that I needed to get help, calming my nervous system. So I booked a session for craniosacral therapy at my house. It was the first time I had ever worked with that particular therapy. And on the other side of this experience now, I understand something I did not understand then. In the window of postpartum, I think it is much more generative to not process anything, but to just focus on relaxing and receiving. And I went into this session wanting to process because I thought that was how I would get myself to calm down. But in fact, it only activated things more. And I remember a specific moment when we were working on my leg. I remember this time when I was a child when I had strep throat and it settled into my legs and I couldn't walk. I was about eight years old. It was really scary. And I also remember feeling my grandfather, my mother's father, really present with me. Throughout the entirety of my postpartum experience, I looked at Delu's face when they were just a day old, and I thought, wow, you look just like my grandfather. He's so here with me. I just feel him so close in a way that I never really had before. One of my prayers going into parenthood was to <laughs> I don't know if you could hear that little beep, but there was just a package delivered. I just appreciate the <laughs> life unfolding in these moments. <sighs> pulling me back, calling me back to the present moment. Maybe that's a good opportunity to pause here and, and come back to the moment. I'll look around you and notice three things in your surroundings. And notice three sensations in your body. And if you have water or a beverage with you, why don't you take a sip of it right now? <sighs> so in this time, before I gave birth, actually quite a bit before I gave birth, a few years, I set the intention, wrote a prayer for myself that when I gave birth, I would give birth to a new bloodline. Because trauma is a story as far back as I can see on both family lines. Violent trauma pain swept under our skin, passed forward for generations. Don't talk about it, but live it. 
over and over and over and over again. I don't want to do that. I'm not doing that. I will trade belonging in my family of origin to not do that. And I have. I will talk about it. I will feel it. I will be with it and I will heal it. I will not pass forward the pain of our unprocessed grief anymore. I will be the end and the beginning. I am the bridge to a new way of being. And I am. Like a wall at the edge of the sea, I will stand tall in who I am and let the waves of the chaotic sea from where I came splash into me to keep my child free. Though they may be misted with what came before them, they will not be drowned in the pain of our unprocessed, forgotten sounds, our stories, untold through time, that are alive, deep within, that we fold into the genetic code of ourselves and pass forward through the womb, I will not do that anymore. I am the end and I am the beginning of something new and I get to choose. And I have. This is what I decided long before I was pregnant, I would be the start of a new bloodline. In this time during postpartum, so much of the past was pushing into the edges of my skin and I was trying to be present. But I was gasping for air, trying to sleep in a raging sea. And finally my body almost quit on me. Between day four and day eight postpartum, my fever fluctuated up and down, higher and higher it climbed. I had a lactation consultant come in. We thought it was part of my milk. It turns out it wasn't. By day eight, my fever was 105 and a half and I was in and out of consciousness. I didn't even know. I remember laying in bed just a few hours before I was hospitalized, trying to nap. Really, I was losing consciousness. I would fade out and come to and say, okay, Viana, get up, get up, sit up. And I would count one, two, three, move. And I couldn't. My body would not move. 
I couldn't even make a sound. My mouth wouldn't open. And for a moment, I thought, I'm locked in. This is a thing. This is an experience people have where they're conscious and aware, but they can't move. I tried to yell for help, but I couldn't. And then I would lose consciousness again and come to and over and over. And I would just say to myself, Viana, get up, get up. And then I would fade again. Eventually, my partner came into the room with our newborn baby. And I said to him, we have to take my temperature right now. And when we took it, it was so high. 105 and a half Fahrenheit. I don't know what that is in Celsius. I said, call Carney. That was my midwife. When he called, Carney said, we had to go to the hospital immediately. She called the doctor who I would have transferred to had anything happened during labor and made arrangements for us to be seen immediately. So eight days after giving birth at home, when I thought I would be tucked into my little house in this little valley, when I thought we would just be inside, sleeping, resting, eating, quietly, here I was, gathering the little, 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 little strength I had to get myself into the car with our newborn. I remember sitting in the back seat with a pillow. I was in so much pain and I was so afraid. And I looked at my child and I couldn't quite understand what was going on. We're going to the hospital. I just wanted to get there. I hated being in the car. It hurt so much. Every bump I felt in every fiber of my being and I didn't want to be driving. When we arrived at the hospital, I went to see the doctor in her clinic that was across the street. And the first thing she said to me was, we're afraid of heart failure. Your heart is beating so fast. Your temperature is so high. I was barely conscious. I couldn't hear most of what she said, but I remember that. I remember how hard it was to climb onto the table and put on the, the robe to be examined. My breasts were solid like rocks, full of milk leaking out. And I didn't have enough energy to express any milk. And she said, we're worried about heart failure. My brain couldn't comprehend these words. I just needed to get this milk out. I'm, I'm, what do you mean heart failure? I have an eight day old baby. It just didn't make any sense to me. 
she said, I want you to go into the ER because we have to run a lot of tests and that's going to be the quickest way we can do it. I was so confused. I remember walking across the street and thinking, I shouldn't be walking. I don't think I can walk. And every step hurt more than I can articulate. My partner left me with the baby to go get our car, I think, or to go sign me in. Honestly, I don't remember. He went somewhere and he left me with the baby for a few minutes sitting on a bench. And I remember thinking, what if my heart stops right here and my baby is alone? I was so scared. When we went into the hospital, they signed me into the ER and they said, your baby can't go with you because it's not safe. They could be exposed to too many things. So my partner, Darren, took Delu out to the parking lot and I went to the ER. I remember the lead up to giving birth in those last few weeks, the last few months, really. I knew I was going to die. Every night when I went to bed, I could hear it whispering deep within me. And I cried so many nights, writing letters in my mind to my child, to my partner. Grieving for them. Grieving the loss of my life. As I prepared for postpartum, I was simultaneously preparing for my own death. Those who were around me then might remember how neurotic I was about preparing for this time. I left instructions all over the house for the strangest things, like how to do laundry and how to clean the dishes, as if there would be some imaginary person entering my home who didn't know how to do laundry. But I just felt this need within me that in order to be okay, to face whatever was coming on the other side of birth, I needed to know that there were systems in place. That there were tracks laid so that whoever was there didn't have to think. It was almost like taking the knowledge in my brain and dumping it out into little pieces of paper around my house. There were signs everywhere. I labeled everything. You should have seen our kitchen. There were clipboards with packets of recipes and information and resources. I stocked the freezer with food and colostrum, and as soon as my milk came in, I started freezing it immediately. For four days, 
Between the time when my milk arrived and when I was hospitalized, I was expressing any extra bit of milk I had and tucking it into the freezer. When I was hospitalized, Darren was instructed by our midwife to take that milk I had tucked in the freezer and to use a special syringe to feed Delu. He would put his finger into Delu's mouth and then slide the syringe just along the side. And as Delu's nursing reflex was activated, as their suckling reflex was activated, he would push just a little bit on the syringe and let this milk come into their body. Cosmically, magically, synchronistically, we had expressed, I had expressed, just enough milk for Delu to be sustained through this time until I was able to nurse them again. I don't know what happened in that parking lot of the hospital as Delu and Darren were out, but from inside the hospital, I remember laying behind a curtain in the ER, hearing the noise of the ER and fading. And coming to, I would look down and see I had dripped milk straight through my hospital gown. I was alone in the hospital, in the ER, and my phone had died. I couldn't talk to anybody, couldn't keep anyone updated. I couldn't be updated on what was going on with Delu. I remember doctors coming in and kneeling beside me and saying, you're really sick, and we don't know why. Your fever is really high. This isn't good for your brain. We need to get it to come down. I remember them running tests and I honestly can't recall. There were so many things coming in and being brought to my side and then leaving and so many different people coming in. And I remember saying, can somebody get me a pump? I'm leaking milk. Can somebody get me a pump? I don't know how much time passed, but it felt like a lot. I was in so much pain, I could barely move my arm, and they brought me a pump that required me to squeeze it. And I looked at it, and I laughed, and I said, I can't do this. I, I can barely lift my arm. I can't squeeze this. I don't remember what happened or when things changed, but eventually that milk was let off somehow. And the reality of my situation landed. I remember being alone in that ER thinking, I might never see my child again. I didn't say goodbye. This is it, this is, this is the moment I knew was coming and I didn't even say goodbye. 
I knew it was coming. And in between waves of losing consciousness, I would come to and cry alone on this hospital bed behind a curtain. And I kept asking, can I see my child? Can I see my child? Please let me see my child. I didn't know, but the space where I was stationed in the ER was right next to a door that led to the parking lot. So after a while, the doctors said, we're going to let your husband in and your baby. You can see your baby. So they came in and I got to hold Delu. And it was so hard. It hurt so much. It was so hard to hold them. I remember looking at their little face and just thinking, I'm so grateful I got to see you one more time. I knew that they would be moving me to the ICU and I didn't know that Delu and Darren would be able to come. They said it was the most vulnerable place for an infant to be in the entire hospital because that's where people are the most sick. I don't, still don't know how or who arranged this. But when I was moved to the ICU, they, they moved me into my own room and very quickly got Darren and Delu into the room and closed the door. And I don't know how that happened or who facilitated that, but... I felt so grateful to be with my child and my husband and to not be alone. I was so scared that I wasn't going to get to say goodbye to them. I don't remember much about being in the ICU, but what I do remember is the feeling of being so cold and the nurse wouldn't let me have a blanket or socks or a hat or anything and she said your fever is so high if it doesn't come down we're gonna have to give you an ice bath so I can't give you anything because we have to bring your fever down and I was drinking ice water and I was so cold. I remember the moments of like fighting to stay in my body because I was in so much pain and sh shaking from how cold I was. And I just couldn't understand that my fever was so high. I really don't remember anything else. can vaguely remember going to the bathroom, but it's all kind of a blur. And then, and then, and now my gratitude overflows as I begin to move into this next part of the story. But I want to just pause. Pause and take a moment to feel, to feel 
what I've shared and where it's landing in your own body. To feel your breath. To feel that you're alive. Look around you. See the world around you. Feel your body existing on this planet at this time. We're alive. And it's not guaranteed. Not a single moment. But here we are. Right now, alive with our will and our sovereignty interconnected to everything, every insect, every droplet of rain, every root of the plants around us. Under our feet is a web of mycelium we can't even conceive of, reaching to a depth of the soil that I've never seen, but I feel in my body. And above us, an infinite expanse. An infinite expanse of time reflected to us as light in the night sky. And we're just a whisper of life expressing itself, creating itself in every moment. We're a little older. With every breath, we are alive and we are dying. We are changing. We are growing and reaching towards decay. Life and death are not separate. They are intimately entwined in every moment. I am living and I am dying right now. What a relief. So here I was in the ICU. And I didn't know this, but behind the scenes, Dr. Salinas, a doctor I would have transferred to had anything happened during labor, this amazing doctor who I owe the deepest expression of my gratitude. What she offered to me is I struggle. I struggle for words. She changed my life. She saved my life. She impacted Delu's life. In, in ways that I, I can't fully understand. 
feel so humbled, so honored, so grateful to have received her care. So behind the scenes, Dr. Salinas was advocating for Delu and I to stay together. She wasn't even my doctor. She handles labor and delivery. But here she was, advocating for us, knowing that we were in the hospital, that Delu was just eight days old. She got me a room in the maternity ward, even though I was not a patient on that floor. She got us a room so that Delu and Darren could stay with me. She oversaw the medication I was being given and advocated to make sure that whatever I was being given was safe for breastfeeding. By my second day in the hospital, she had Delu and I nursing again. She was making recommendations for the blood transfusions I was receiving and my treatment plan. She advocated for me in exactly the way that I would have advocated for myself. She centered what was most important to me as a new parent, that I was with my child, that our right to be together was honored, and that our connection, our opportunity to nurse was upheld, that I was given the choice, that the Decision wasn't made for me based on the conditions I was in. And I see the incredible privilege of that. The level of postpartum care that I received is something I just, I really struggle for words because there's so much in this for me. There's my experience, the fear, the hope, the gratitude, the pain that I lived, and then there's also the righteous anger that this is not the level of care that all birthing people experience. The righteous anger that I feel thinking about black parents entering into a hospital to give birth, knowing that the mortality rate is so significantly high for them. I think about trans parents who enter into that space who people act like they don't even exist. That a trans masculine person giving birth isn't real. I think about all the nuance of what it means to be in this situation I was in and to receive the care that I got. And I grieve because this time is so sacred and so vulnerable. This is the start of life. And if we can't get this right, what chance do we have at getting any of it 
right. This is where it starts. If we are not upholding the people who are bringing forth the future literally through their bodies, a portal through time and space, how could we ever create a society that honors and respects life? This is where it starts. When I reflect on my own story, I feel the gravity. I feel grateful for the care that I received because I would not be alive without it. And I feel the immense loss of knowing that there are so many parents who are not alive because this standard of care is not the norm. I wonder what it would have been like to even be at a different hospital. My experience was so conditional on every aspect of the environment that I was in. The doctor I had, the size of the hospital, the location of the hospital. It was small, it was quiet. That's why I was allowed to have this room on the maternity ward because it wasn't full. I was assigned a nurse that didn't even work on that floor that was more versed in the situation I was in. All of these things that led to me having the experience I had, I hold with such high regard. And I know in the depths of my bones that this experience as my life continues to unfold, as my bandwidth expands, this experience will inform the way that I show up to move in the world. What I advocate for, what I invest in changing in the world. So here I was in this room, now moved into a room where Darren and Delu and I could all be together. I don't remember much, but I remember how it felt. And it hurt. It hurt. In a way I don't even desire trying to put words to right now. Yes, almost dying hurts. <laughs> there is real physical pain. These are not just words I'm saying. I almost died. I know what it feels like. Leaving my body was easy. Returning was a war. I would go out to the infinite abyss of what exists beyond our comprehension. And I was free. I was everything and nothing. I didn't want to return. And then I would remember this tiny child who had just come through me. And I would fight 
to re-enter my body and I would fight to stay in my body and I didn't want to, but it was a choice I made. I was on the edge of life and I chose life. It was not passive. It was not something that happened to me. And yes, the conditions I was in allowed it to be. And also, it was a choice. And I remember making the choice to stay alive. It wasn't passive for me. There's a lot I'm skipping here, but what I will say is that after I returned home, the choice I had made to stay alive was a tough one to keep making. I felt apathetic about everything. I just didn't care. I was floating in a void between worlds, resenting this reality. I hated it. I hated the choice I made. But I still kept choosing it, fighting against it, suffering in the fight. So many of the lessons I've been sharing with you that I've been digesting about the journey of choosing to learn my lessons through pleasure instead of pain, instead of suffering, of living a sensual life, of leading in my life through my senses, turning towards beauty as an act of resilience, these lessons came through this time. It's how I crawled back to life from this void of apathy that didn't care for anything. This is how I found my way into my body and into this reality. So what happened? We don't know. And eventually the doctor said, it's not worth trying to figure it out. The amount of tests we would need to run, it's not worth trying to figure out what happened. What we do know is that I had a septic blood infection. And I got new blood. Through blood transfusions which hurt like fucking hell. I mean, literally felt like I was burning. A sensation that has not left my skin for three years. And there are theories I have about what happened the echoes of the past that needed to resolve to move forward with a new bloodline 
now literally, my experience. I have new blood in my body. My grandfather died of a septic blood infection. There's more here, and I'll just leave it at that for now. Write your own story in that space. What the doctors told me is that they thought there was a strep or staph infection that had been in my body, laying dormant for who knows how long. And that infection during postpartum, during those early days of postpartum, my nervous or my immune system couldn't fight it off anymore. I hadn't slept more than 45 minutes, remember. I labored for two days without food and sleep. My body was so activated. And I remembered, as the doctor told me this in the hospital, that during that craniosacral therapy, we were working on my leg, on my leg where this strep infection had settled when I was a kid. And as we worked on it, I remember thinking of my grandfather. And there were a lot of things synthesizing in my mind. Of course, this lives beyond what we can test. And I like that. It's the story I choose to write. It's the resolve I choose for my life, for my lineage, for my ancestry, for all that's living within me. The stories of pain and violence I will not pass forward the stories of resilience that will carry on infinitely through time. The beauty, the choice, the will that is inherent in being, that can never be taken or changed, that is. These last three years, I've been sick. I've been so sick. I never got better after almost dying. But I was fighting to pretend that I was better. I have been in pain every day since I gave birth. My bones have felt too heavy to move. My will to live has been elusive. My skin has felt like fire and my veins like knives shredding me from the inside with every pump of my heart. I have tried again and again 
and again to stand up and put one foot in front of the other and walk forward in my life and every time I do I fall to the ground because my body was not yet ready. I have lost so much in these last few years and I grieve and I do not condition that grief with the joy of what I have received. I allow myself space to mourn wholly and completely. I grieve. And when the grief moves through me, as it expresses itself through tears and trembling, through days spent in bed, through the solitude of being ill, I find the celebration in every whisper of beauty in the subtle sounds of nature that unfold around me, in the moments of presence where I feel my body against soil and air, in this moment in time, a brief whisper, this life, this is mine, my choice, my will, my autonomous self, a drop in the sea of life. And I merge like a droplet of water in the ocean. I merge with all that is around me in deep time through space. with the mycelium under my feet and the blowing wind around me, I merge. Take a breath. Close your eyes. Feel yourself in space and time. Feel yourself as a part of nature, like a vine climbing upward towards the light. Turn towards that which you love, that which you know deep within your soul the wisdom that can never be shaken, the you that is whole. Turn towards all that you are, here and now, forevermore. 
a drop of the cosmic sea in a pinch-pot body made of earth. Turn around and see all that is living. Feel in your body all that you bring. The wisdom, the knowledge, the grief. All parts of you deserve to be seen without condition. This is where we're free. May we learn how to be with ourselves and our community. There is so much more of this story to tell, but today I am tired. I am changing every day, crawling a little closer to life. I am still half dead, fighting. Every day my grip gets a little tighter, a little stronger. My capacity opens a little bit more and still. Most days I spend in bed, grieving. I am still coming back to life. I am still in this process being pulled and dragged through the portal between life and death, learning what it means to be human and learning how to fit together what exists beyond the veil, that which I touched, that which I was in death and learning how to fit it into this very small body in this moment of time i'm learning how to be all that i am thank you for listening thank you for receiving this journey of life that I'm in. Thank you for being a part of it. Thank you. Now it's time for Creatively Relating, your opportunity to digest today's episode through your own creative expression. But before we dive into that, I want to share the number to call in to the show because I would love to hear how today's episode landed for you. 
What did you feel? What did you receive? What did you think? Call in anytime at 1-833-2-RELATE, 1-833-273-5283. There is a two-minute max on messages, so you can call in multiple times if you have lots to say, or you can send an email to creativelyrelating at gmail.com. You can send a written email, you could send a voice memo, you could send a video, whatever you want to share, however you want to tell your experience and share your story. I would love to hear what you have to share. Okay, so today's writing exercise, there are a few questions. So I recommend getting a pen and paper or your phone to write these out. Or maybe you want to just notice the time in the episode where this is being shared and you can come back to it when you're ready to journal. When you answer these questions, I recommend giving yourself a time limit, five minutes, 20 minutes, whatever you have to give, and just let yourself flow freely without thinking too much into it. Let it be like a stream of consciousness. Don't worry about punctuation or grammar or anything of the like. Just explore. Okay, here are the questions. If I died today, what is the one thing I would regret not having created, seen, or experienced? When I think about my own death, What relationship or relationships do I have the hardest time imagining leaving? What am I willing to let go of in my life today so I can tend to these things with greater impact while I am alive? Thank you so much for being here today. Again, if you want to support the show, you can do so for free by subscribing and listening within the first 24 hours of the show's release. You can leave a rating or a review on iTunes. That's through the Purple Podcast app. You can share any episode with a friend or multiple friends and also share with them to subscribe if they like it, to like, leave a review, or follow me on Instagram. You can do that at viana.novis. And if you want to support the show financially, you can do so at patreon.com slash viananovis for as little as $3 a month. Music for today's episode was written and recorded by Zena Carlota at Z-E-N-A-C-A-R-L-O-T-A on Instagram and mixed by Brendan Willing James at Be Willing on Instagram, B-W-I-L-L-I-N-G. Thank you so much for being here. I'll see you next week.